Welcome to the Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine nutrition research digested for you. Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Novus International Inc., a leader in swine nutrition solutions driven by science. DSM Animal Nutrition and Health is shaping the future of piglet care. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Life starts swine. Facilitated by Trow Nutrition. Distilled science and real-world advice for better on-farm decisions. Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Heat stress can start at temps as low as 75 degrees. Combat heat stress with Chemtrace Chromium. Visit Chemin.com forward slash swine heat stress today. Purina Animal Nutrition, where R&D meets ROI. Hubbard Feeds, research-driven and focused on helping you achieve your goals. My name is Clayton Chastain, your host for today's episode. Today, we are back with a second episode with Kayla Miller, a PhD student at Iowa State University. So I read about two different studies you performed. Let's start with the first one, which was about the peak infection periods of PERS and the timing of certain diets to help mitigate the negative associated effects. Can you tell us a little bit about that study? Yeah. Um, so previous work from our group um, has suggested that feeding between 10 to 20 percent above what the NRC recommends for the lysine to energy ratio um, improves growth performance and feed efficiency during a purse challenge, both naturally and during an experimental challenge. Um, however, with these two studies, the enhanced treatment diets were put in place at the time of the PERS inoculation or DPI zero, zero. So it remains unclear that if we provide these diets at the time of peak infection or when you'd usually detect a PERS outbreak in the field, if we would get that same growth response. Um, improvements. So to conduct this study, we uh, used just shy of 500 grow-finished pigs that were fed over a three-phase period from DPI zero, or when we inoculated with PERS, all the way through market. Um, these pigs were fed a common diet from the point of inoculation through to DPI 21, um, or roughly that peak infection time that we typically see with a PERS outbreak. And then thereafter, they were placed on the experimental diets um, that were formulated to contain either 100%, 115%, or 130% of what the NRC recommends uh, for the SID lysine to energy ratio. Um, at DPI zero, all pigs received roughly two mils of uh, PERS-134 strain um, intramuscularly to ensure that all pigs got the same dosage of PERS. So moving into some of the results from this study, during the second and third phase of finishing, or when these enhanced diets were put in place after what was estimated to be peak infection, uh, we really saw no differences in growth performance parameters in either of the two phases. However, when we looked at the overall um, grow and finishing periods from DPI zero all the way through market, we did see a slight improvement in overall feed efficiency when feeding at 130% um, of the NRC's recommendation. So in a real scenario, like on a production level, obviously there's not going to be an inoculation period where they all get the disease at the same time, and it's going to like spread through the barn over time, and you might see it pop up in one or two pigs, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. So how soon do you think, since this one didn't really work with the 21 days afterward, 
How soon do you think they would need to switch diets upon detection of the virus? Do you think it would be feasible or do you think by the time they detect it, it would already be too late? Yeah, so it's hard to give a pinpoint exact time on when these diets should be implemented. But like I previously mentioned, based on work from our group that was done by Wes Schweer and Jessica Jasper, um, implementing these diets um, as close to the point of inoculation or when PERS is detected um, shows to be beneficial in terms of mitigating the growth performance that it's lost that we typically see during a PERS outbreak. Um, but however, like you had just mentioned, it's kind of not really logistical to switch diets at the exact time of an outbreak as it's pretty unpredictable. Um, so that's kind of how our study came as an idea um, for a more practical approach to both Wes and Jessica's studies. Um, but overall, by the time uh, PERS will travel through a herd, the timing of these diets is really critical. Um, but as soon as like we can get these enhanced diets to these pigs, likely the better uh, chance they'll respond and have better growth performance throughout the PERS challenge. Gotcha. And the beneficial effects that you see from starting it as soon as you can, um, from the extra lysine and the extra amino acids, is that just because those amino acids provide better natural immunity or is there some more to the mechanism than that? Yeah, I would say it definitely um, establishes a natural um, immunity and it helps boost their immune system before really the peak of the PERS hits them. Um, and increasing that lysine energy ratio does overall help the growth performance. So it definitely can be accredited to natural immunity um, before the peak of the disease curve hits them. Gotcha. And do you or your team plan to do any more research on this, maybe bump up the time from 21 days to 14 or any other uh, testing, any other ideas like that? Yeah, as of now, we don't have any um, future plans on doing that, but I definitely think it'd be interesting to see if we bump up the time from say 21 to 14 or even seven um, to see the effects of that and see if that could be a more practical approach because yeah, 21 days could be almost too late. We don't know. Um, and that's one of the mm -hmm. drawbacks from this study, definitely. Right. So let's go ahead and transition to that second study. So can you tell me a little bit about the second study, the one that was about improving performance of the poor health pigs through different nutritional strategies? Yeah. So for this study, um, we were really interested in post-wean diarrhea with pigs that were challenged or that had historic challenges of enteric issues. Um, so the production system we worked with had a consistent flow of pigs that always had enteric issues once they were placed after weaning. So we were interested in screening a few um, dietary strategies uh, to try and mitigate the effects of those post-wean scours um, that come from, that are one of the major symptoms from enteric diseases such as rotavirus and hemolytic E. coli. Um, so for this study, these pigs were fed over roughly a nine-week nursery program, which was split into four phases. Um, Phases one and two were fed their treatment diets, and then phases three and four of the nursery program, um, all pens were fed a common diet. Phase one was fed for roughly 14 days, and phase two was also fed for roughly 14 days. So the five diets that we uh, investigated within this study um, included our first, which was our control, 
This diet contained a low inclusion of soybean meal, where phase one contained roughly 15% and phase two contained roughly 25% soybean meal. Our second diet um, had a high inclusion of soybean meal, where phase one had 35% and phase two had 45% soybean meal. Our third diet contained uh, a 30% increase in the NRC's recommendation for branched-chain amino acids. Our fourth diet contained a 2.1 inclusion of medium-chain fatty acids uh, containing a C8, C10, and C12 um, mix of fatty acids. Um, and then our fifth treatment that we chose to look at was a high inclusion of modified oats um, at 20%. And throughout this study, we chose to compare all five of, or all four of these diets to the low soybean meal, which served as our control throughout this study. Um, moving into just some of the results that we found, overall, we really didn't see too many differences with these treatment strategies when compared to the low soybean meal control. Um, but focusing on the results for the medium chain fatty acids, where this treatment was really the only treatment that showed differences um, from that control. However, they weren't really beneficial. Um, average daily gain and feed intake were both negatively affected in phases one and two, as well as the overall nine-week nursery period. Um, but again, every other diet showed no differences in phase one, two, or overall performance. What's next to move your business forward? Purina's team of pork industry professionals can help you find solutions that work as well in the barn as they do in the research lab. Let's find a solution together to get the results you need today and in the future. DSM can help you prepare, protect, and support resilience in your piglets, providing local swine expertise and complete, tailor-made solutions to help you achieve your vision. DSM Animal Nutrition and Health is shaping the future of pig care. Yeah, with those, it's kind of difficult to tell exactly what caused it or why there wasn't a response, especially with sick, sick pigs. They can be all over the place. And maybe it was, since this was an inoculation one, like the last one, it could have been something similar where um, you just had it fed or started the diets after their peak infection and they got it earlier on in the uh, farrowing house. So yeah, those, those are always a little difficult, but I appreciate you uh, coming on the show to talk about that study. And for everyone else, thank you for listening to the Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast. Please visit us at swinenutritionblackbelt.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel so you won't miss out on the next episode. See you next week. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we are constantly on the lookout for the latest updates in swine nutrition. And if you have a swine nutrition-related research trial that you would be able to share on our podcast, please send an email to nutritionblackbelt at swineit.com and we would love to talk about your research. See you later.